welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am doing something completely different this week. Uh, in light of Valentine's Day, I thought it would be nice to review one of my absolute favorite romantic pieces of music. And uh, in light of doing it differently, what the hell? I'm going to review the whole song. And uh, it's a bit of a long one, so it's, uh, I'm not sure how long the podcast will go. But that intro that you heard was a song that I wrote from an album that was completely inspired by this song. Um, today we're covering Beethoven's Violin Romance Number no. 2 in F major. And the version that we're going to be listening to, and this is important because, you know, different versions sound differently. So if you like this version, the one that you're looking for is on the CD or cassette of Masters of Classical Music Volume 3. I cannot find this available as a download anywhere, but I did find uh, it is available on Amazon and also on Discogs, and I have included the links for both. It is not available uh, on iTunes, of course, because iTunes is download only. So um, very beautiful song. A couple of interesting things I actually didn't know until I was uh, researching this song. According to our dear friends at Wikipedia, who always get everything right, the Romance for Violin and Orchestra number two in F major, which is Opus 50, that's so important, is the second of such two compositions, duh, but there were only two, uh, by Ludwig van Beethoven. It was written in 1798, but not published until 1805. Um, by then, Beethoven had completed and published the work on Violin Romance number one, which is in G major, Opus 40. I don't know how they named or how they numbered opuses back then, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the accompaniment on this track is for flute, so single flute, and a pair of oboes, bassoons, horns, and strings. It's a very interesting combination of sounds and uh, an absolutely beautiful piece. Another thing that I did not know is that uh, a ballet based on this work, titled Beethoven Romance, premiered in the uh, New York City Ballet on February 2nd, 1989. Had no idea. So very cool stuff. I have absolutely loved this piece from the very first time I heard it. I remember I was at, it was either Best Buy or Media Play. And this would have been back in the 90s. And I, uh, you know, I, I was a fan of classical music. It wasn't, you know, buying it up left and right. But I did see they had some very inexpensive classical CDs. And I think it was like, $2 or $3 or something like that. And I thought, you know, I haven't really listened to Beethoven very much in, in a long time. So, you know, what the hell? A couple bucks, I'll check it out. And boy, am I glad I did because it certainly led me to a, a desire to learn much more about his music. And um, very much affected by the movie Immortal Beloved. The emotion in that movie is absolutely incredible. And um, I highly suggest if you're interested in his life or just want to watch an incredible, powerful, emotional movie, um, check that out. It is not factual. There has been no definitive solution for who the immortal beloved actually is. But I will. And that is a real mystery. But I will say the director said it very well. Prove me wrong. To which I thought, you know, that's fair. That's absolutely fair because there is no answer. And his take on the whole thing was plausible from what I know about Beethoven's history. So I, I won't say that it wasn't the case. Um, I'll just say it was a very interesting but incredibly well done. 
And that is the most important part. It is incredibly well done. And just take away the historical accuracy of it all and just watch it as a movie. Have a box or two of Kleenex. Uh, get ready to call all your friends and tell them you love them. It's that intense of a movie. Um, but getting back to the the numbering of opuses or opi, would it be opi? Like octopuses, octopi when there's more than one? I don't know. But uh, this song uh, inspired me to write a series of my own romance pieces of music, but for piano, because I was really into writing for piano at the time. And I didn't want to copy Beethoven. I didn't want to just say, well, I'll just do violin too. You know, although that is such a, a perfect instrument for it. You know, if he'd have picked any other instrument, I don't think it would have come out as well because one, just because of the dynamic range and two, because I, I've always felt that strings are the most emotional instrument. Could it have been a viola? Maybe. Very possibly. That would probably be the only other instrument. Cello does actually go pretty high in the in the register of notes, but not as high as uh, a violin or even a viola. So, um, yeah, I don't think it would have worked as well. But in any case, um, it's a beautiful piece. So this, um, the challenge that I have and the reason why I get annoyed with the opus thing is because when I went to publish my album, I had nine songs at the time, and I thought, I'm going to publish this. I was not allowed to because the distributor said that some of the places they distribute to had a, would have a problem with the way that I named the pieces. Now, I was very specific in not wanting to call it like piano for car crash or piano for firelight or you know anything like that. I wanted the music to 100% give the feel of the song. I didn't want any preconceived notions by title. So this was very important to me. And my publisher was like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to put it out the way it is. If you want to rename it, you want to add opus numbers, that's fine. I'm like, I'm not going to add opus numbers because I've already got numbers. It was romance for piano number one, romance for piano number two, number three, and so on. Um, adding a random opus number added no value to the title. It would have been very confusing. I've already got a number for the song, even though Beethoven's done it here and back. In those days, yes, those kind of things, for whatever reason, mattered. They were important for maybe publishing purposes or whatever. I don't know. But now, nowadays, it's just stupid. So uh, I was not able to publish it for a long time. And then I thought um, I'd find a way, and I did, through Bandcamp, who doesn't care about titles, uh, I was able to publish the album through Bandcamp, but I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to remaster it, I'm going to re-record it, and I'm going to, um, you know, write uh, write a new song for it. You know, put it, put another thing on it, and for the two or three people that purchased um, the the version I had on CD, could uh, you know get get some value out of the the new version and get a nice digital clean copy and all that. Um, and so I did, and it's sitting there on my Bandcamp page right now. The version that you're hearing in the intro is my Piano Romance number two, the second. And these are in order of how I wrote them, by the way. I did not reorder them for audio aesthetics or what would flow into, you know, one, the next song more beautifully than a different option. Um, I, I put them out in the way I wrote, in the order that I wrote them. Otherwise, it would have been strange to go, here's number five, number seven, number three, number four. You know, that wouldn't have made any sense at all. So they're they're captured as a... Um, chronology of the writing. And um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. But the one that kind of eludes me was the second song, which is the one that you heard in the opening. 
And I think what I'm going to do is after the episode is over, instead of playing my normal outro music, I think I'm just going to play that song in full for those of you who might be interested to hear the whole thing. Uh, that version of it is actually my favorite. I prefer it to the newer version. There's just something about, um, and, and there were no vir virtual instruments or anything on this version. It's all uh, synthesized. So they take samples of real instruments and maybe two or three of the notes are actually real samples and everything else is computer generated um, for, for the rest of the scale because the keyboards do not have room to hold samples for every single instrument with all the velocities and the changes and all that. So there's a couple that are real and then everything else is generated off of those samples. Um, but it, there's just something about the violin. Uh, there's something about the, um, or, or the strings, I mean, I'm sorry, something about the sound of the piano. It's got kind of a mellow tone to it. And so many of the newer ones are just, they're crispy and clean and they just don't have that right sound. So uh, this version is the one that I love, and that's the one that I'll share with you in this episode. If you'd like a copy of it, shoot me an email, scott at scotthaskin.com, and I'll probably send it to you. I don't know why I would. Uh, if I get the email, I'll send it to you if you request it. If you just send me an email and don't ask for it, I probably won't think you want it. So, you know, that's how things work around here. But uh, yeah, so this is a, an absolutely beautiful song. This whole CD, actually, it was a, was a series of great choices because they're not all the um the big hits although there are some on there you know you've got moonlight sonata you've got furlies but yeah this was such a gem and i did not know the song before i got the cd so even if i had i'll i'll venture as far as to say this i never would have but even if i would have spent a hundred dollars on this cd it would have been worth it just for this song that's how much i love it and I hope that you will love it too. So I'm going to go in my normal review style, but instead of only playing a sample of the song, I'm just going to do it like the way I did the Uriah Heat podcast. We're going to listen to the whole damn thing. And there you go. It's Valentine's Day. Romance is in the air. I've got, uh, you know, par for the course for my world. I have a elect an electric candle going right now because that just seems like the right thing to do. So let's get into the song. Here is Violin Romance number two by Ludwig van Beethoven. Well, let's just talk about this introduction. It's absolutely beautiful, very gentle. Uh, one thing that that I love about classical music, and okay, let's let's actually just talk about that term for a second because it's kind of weird now that I think about it. Classical music, we think of orchestral music as classical, but if it's written in modern times, is it still classical or is it just orchestral? I honestly have no idea, but I would say Beethoven's time on earth was definitely the classical time. So we'll just go with that for now. Um, but one thing that I love about this style of music is that the players don't all need to be heard as much as felt. 
the focus is very clearly on the violin because it's playing more solo style. But the rest of the instruments are like, hey, I'm here too. They're just supportive. And they're perfectly happy to just be supportive of where the key focus needs to be. And, you know, they'll have their time throughout the song. It's, you know, it's a nine and a half minute song to the, to the T. But I, I love that they, that not everything has to fight for a space in this style of music. When it's meant to be supportive, it's just supportive. That's your job. And that was what you signed up for. And that's what you did. And it's absolutely beautiful and stunning. But the emotion of this piece right off the bat, it doesn't have an intro. It doesn't have a lead and it just goes right into the, the, you know, main, I guess you'd call it riff or, or feel of the song. It's done, like I said, in a solo style. It's got a lot of just incredibly beautiful vibrato. Um, I can't pronounce the violinist's name. It is in the show notes, but it, it, he did an absolutely masterful job. And uh, let's get back to the song and see where it goes from here. I hear this section of the song, it always makes me feel or or imagine that I'm in Italy or Germany or somewhere back in the day wearing probably five layers of very uncomfortable clothes because I'm at some amazing castle or banquet hall or something. And there's snow outside. There's just a, a certain type of light coming through the window that casts quite a mood into the room that I'm in. And there's a chill in the air, but there's candles everywhere. People are there. There's this little orchestra playing that's somehow making this magical sound. It's just such a vivid picture that I get in my mind when I hear this section. And it happened the very first time that I heard the song. The thing is, if this song were recorded today, it wouldn't sound like this. It just wouldn't. It would be crisp and clean and, you know, pristine microphones and all this stuff. There are some older versions out there that have this more of this feel to it. Um, A couple that I've heard are slightly faster, which definitely changed the mood dramatically. Even a few beats per minute. It's it's a different song for me. But it's it's amazing just the the combination of sound of these instruments that are really, again, designed to be supportive. Here, they're giving the violinist a a little bit of a rest before they start up again. And they're just putting a beautiful sound bed down. Absolutely gorgeous. I love it.
it's just stunningly beautiful. And I I could not love this song more. I really couldn't. The violin playing on this version is just fantastic. I love the sound of the violin. It is a little bit crisper than the other instruments, but it's also taking the lead. It is a, you know, going to be a crisper instrument in general. Um, but it's not like hitting frequencies that annoy me, even when it hit the higher peak there a moment ago. Really just sounds beautiful. Doesn't cut through my ears at all like a flute would. Um, I've talked about that before, um, why I'm not a fan of the flute. Um, it just doesn't have those ear piercing frequencies the way that this is recorded. It could. I mean, it certainly could in those levels. If the EQ is bad, um, really, you know, peaking certain frequencies that would make that uncomfortable, it would be awful and would ruin the song. But there, this was very carefully um, recorded and um, mixed. Just, you know, I would not change a thing. It, this is absolutely flawless for me. But the emotion in it is just gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, it takes you on such a journey, this song. You don't realize that we're already almost three minutes in. And it feels like we've been listening for what, maybe a minute? Pretty, pretty amazing writing and performing there, folks. For anyone who has ever tried to play a violin, including myself, I had, um, did I have an acoustic violin? I know I had an electric violin. I want to say I had an acoustic, but I don't think I did. I think I just tried to play one at the music store I worked at. But um, it's an incredible instrument. It is so precise. If you're slightly off, it sounds different. I mean, everything is so noticeable and there's no fretboard. It's it's all just one long piece. So you really have to know what you're doing to be able to play this instrument. And it is not an easy one to learn by any means. And the performance we're getting here, this is a masterclass in how to play a violin. It really is. Between Beethoven's writing and the performance that we're getting, it's just stunning. The The power, when to hold back a note, when to bring it forward, just unbelievable. And there's some good uh, jumps in range that are very quick. Um, I don't know if that's going from string to string or if it's going just down the, the neck because I don't know all the, you know, the dynamic ranges. I made some really horrible sounds on a violin 
Um, I did learn how to make proper sounds on a violin, but I never really learned how to play it. Like I could make note, notes that were pleasing, but I couldn't play a song or even a, a riff or a lick or whatever you would call it. Um, but this song is just so masterfully crafted and and just gorgeous. And especially appreciate the backing musicians on this one because they really do just lay the foundation and lay that bed for the violin to sit in. It's just perfect. So let's hear some more. So before we get into the next violin solo, which is coming up, um, do you see what I mean about the backing musicians, how they're just there to just add that color and add that tone to it? And it's such a mellow tone, but it sounds so beautiful the way they're playing together. Also, um, I like that other part in there that was a little bit darker. You know, this is a nine and a half minute song. So if it were all happy, it would kind of get a little bit uh, maybe too much after a while. So it was nice to have that part right around the middle of the song where it drops down and just gets a little dark for a second. Maybe the um, idea of questioning the romance or the relationship you have or whatever it represents. I don't know. I don't know if Beethoven even really thought that way or if he thought more in terms of just what would sound good musically as as opposed to what that piece of music represented in real life. I don't know. But I will say it's it was a, a much needed piece right around then. And uh, just in and out too, you know, it didn't, it didn't change the dynamic of the song. It didn't redirect the mood of the song. It was just a momentary, momentary lapse, which I, I liked very much. And now we're going to hear another masterful violin solo. Here we go. Thank you. 
what a beautiful ride that section was. It got exciting again, and it, then it went mellow. And then just the gentleness of everyone playing together. Um, beautiful violin solo at the beginning of that section, too. Um, just incredible. I mean, the heights that this song reaches, the journey that we're on. And we're now two-thirds through the song. And already, I, I feel like we've been through so much, you know, the emotional holes in this song, and then it drops down and you can take a breath, and then it swells up again. I mean, just beautiful writing. Absolutely beautiful. What can I say here that I haven't already said? The gentleness, the musicality, the emotion, it's all there. And this journey is epic. And when I think of epic songs, I tend to think of songs like, um, you know, Stargazer or Gates of Babylon by Rainbow or, you know, even Highway Star by Deep Purple, you know, these big epic things. And this is not that at all. It doesn't need to have a rich and full sound. It doesn't need to be, you know, have a heavy beat or have, uh, you know, music everywhere. This is very simple. Although there are some layers in the backing instruments, you know, it's not, they're not all just playing the same thing. There's some, some detail there, but um, it's, it's really just a very simple thing. There's just a lot of ideas and they're organized very well and they're performed well and they take you on uh, an incredible journey if you're open for it. And um, I mean, you're listening, so maybe you are. Maybe you're not and you just listen to the show no matter what I do. I don't know. But let's get back to the song.
There it is, guys. Violin Romance Number no. 2 from Ludwig van Beethoven. And, you know, it doesn't need a grand finale. It doesn't need to build up to anything and end uh, with explosions and all kinds of things. It's a romantic piece. It should really just kind of carry you into the night. And it does that very beautifully. Um, a lot of patience for the players. For I mean, if you're into this kind of music, if you're performing it, it's probably something that you're used to. But as a listener, I'm like, I can't imagine being in a band and sitting there for, you know, 12, 13 seconds, not playing something. That's just kind of weird if there's a song going on. I mean, if you're in between songs, of course, but it's just kind of a weird concept to me to just sit in a chair and look out at your crowd and go, yeah, I'm not doing anything right now. But that's how classical music goes sometimes. I mean, here you've got sections where there's no backing because the violin is playing by itself. Then other times there's no violin and the the backing is playing. Um, it's a great balance, really, though, I think, because it doesn't it doesn't extend either one by itself for too long. You know, they'll play their solo parts, but they'll come together and then they'll go back and one will play or the other will play. It's it's a really beautiful dance. I mean, it really is kind of a dance. And uh, yeah, I love this piece. I hope that you guys did, too. A little shorter of an episode today because we're only doing the one piece. But what the hell? You know, it's Valentine's Day. It's a beautiful piece of romantic music. Why not dig into it and share it? So if you guys are interested in that from this particular collection, the links are in the show notes to Amazon and Discogs. Again, not available on iTunes. Um, You can also just get any collection of Beethoven's. But if you want this song, you're looking for a collection that has Violin Romance number two. I will say I have heard Violin Romance number one a couple of times and I should really go back and listen to it again because it's been a while, but it did not quite capture me the way this piece did. There's something, you know, they call it lightning in a bottle or whatever, but there's something incredible about this particular piece of music and the way that it was done that it absolutely just captures my heart. And I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I will leave you with my original version of Piano Romance number two, no opus number because screw that. And I will bid you adieu. Thanks for checking out the episode. Thanks for taking this journey with a piece of Beethoven music, the first piece of classical music I think I've done on this show in seven years. I I mean, unless there was a piece from a film, which I wouldn't count as like a standalone piece of classical music or covering a classical composer, because I really haven't done that yet. Although I do have some that I would like to discuss. So uh, I don't know. Let me know what you think. But in the meantime... Have a beautiful Valentine's Day. Enjoy. Do something fun. If you're, you know, with a partner, obviously you probably already have plans. If you're not, go do something fun. Don't be sad and alone. Just make it a day. You know, treat yourself to something nice. You deserve it. Why? Because you're still alive on this crazy planet. Unless you're an asshole, then I'll leave it up to you. Cheers. Cheers. 